0: Good morning. Thank you all for being here on this Labor Day weekend. Um, we, uh, myself and Brooke and about uh, nine or ten other people from our church were in Springfield, Missouri last weekend. Uh, having kind of a vision and, and um, uh, training trip for Freeway Ministries, which will be starting up in January of this year. Josh and Alex Zuniga have moved here. Josh is here. Alex is home uh, with their little baby this morning. Um, and they'll be back and forth a little bit until the end of October. And then we're gonna really start zeroing in on what God has for that ministry and the life of our church. So more information to come. But I thank you for all of you who signed up to serve in ministries last week. How many of you got the volunteer T-shirt last week? If you got it, put up your hand. How many of you noticed that volunteer was misspelled on the back of the T-shirt? <laughs> Oh man, so here's the thing, that t-shirt, it's volunteer, and, uh, and it's a kind of a play on words because the word one is highlighted in the middle of the shirt, and that is spelled correctly, so that's good, um, and uh, if you're like me, you would have never noticed that that was misspelled, but I had some teachers in our church Uh, informed me that that it was misspelled. But it's okay because we're really focused on unity, on one, and the rest is all just details. So that's not true, but kind of, maybe. We're gonna see if we can get a correctly spelled T-shirt. If not, then just wear it anyway and just pretend like it's okay. So um, just wanted you to know that I know, and now you know too. So here's our new series. It's called That You May Know, Uh, and it's all about knowing. The book of 1 John was written so that we could know. John uh, is the writer of the book of 1 John, and so I want us to talk a little bit about John and and who John is, why he wrote this book as we get started in this series this morning. So John wrote John. The books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John And we call those epistles or letters These are letters written by John To specifically the church in Ephesus John also wrote the Gospel of John So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John John wrote the Gospel of John and a gospel is uh, is a story about the life of Jesus. It, it is, gospel literally means good news. And so gospels give us the good news that Jesus Christ came in flesh, lived a perfect life, died a sinless death that we may have salvation. John's gospel is unique from the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It, it kind of focuses on some different things than the other gospels focus on because... John wrote his gospel later than the other three gospels. As we're going to see, John was a, he he was the last surviving disciple. He was an old man when he wrote the gospel of John and the letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Now, John also wrote another book called the book of Revelation. Uh, This is the last book of the New Testament, and John wrote this book while he was in exile on this island called Patmos. We know that Um, we know that John wrote the gospel of John because he tells us in John chapter 21, verse 24, he says, this is the disciple who testifies these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. He's pointing back to as he talked about himself and his experiences with Jesus throughout the gospel. And he goes, I'm the guy, except he writes in this weird third-person kind of Yoda language. Uh, but, but John is saying, I'm the guy, the guy that told you all these stories. I'm the guy that wrote them down. And you can know that my testimony is true because I walked with Jesus. The book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 9, it's more direct. It says, I, John, your brother and partner in the affliction, kingdom and endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos because of the word and the testimony of Jesus. And then he writes down this letter, this book of Revelation, says, I, John, I'm the one that wrote this book. Now, first, second, and third John, John never identifies himself as the writer. But early church fathers taught us that John wrote this letter, and, and, and we believe that he wrote it because of the content of the letter, because of the style of the letter, um, and, and because of the context of the letter. And so, um, so John wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Uh, that is what the earliest church fathers taught us. That is what the, the um, harmony of Scripture teaches us. And, and so these letters were written by John. So who was John? I'm gonna put a picture of John up here on the screen and tell you a little bit about uh, the Apostle John. So he was one of the 12 disciples. John was one of the 12 disciples. His brother was named James. James and John were the sons of a guy named Zebedee, and he's talked about in all four of the gospels. Um, John was in the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. Peter, James, and John were the three that got to do all kinds of, they kinda went on like extracurricular field trips with Jesus that the other disciples didn't get to go on. They were kinda the head of the class, seemingly. They got to be there on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus' glory appeared to these three disciples. They were with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was praying his last prayer, pleading with the Father. Peter, James, and John were the three that were with Jesus. They got to be a part of all kinds of extra things in the life of Christ. Uh, John was the last living apostle. Of the 12 disciples, he was the last one living. Uh, he was probably also the youngest of Jesus' disciples. When John became a follower of Jesus, he was probably 17 to 20 years old, somewhere in his late teens, early 20s. Uh, He was one of the youngest of Jesus' disciples, and he lived and died of natural causes in his 80s or 90s. Um, In the book of John, Jesus says, what is it if I want this guy to live till I come? And, And John says, Jesus didn't exactly mean I would live till he comes again. He just said, what is it if I do that? And he told Peter, he said, Peter, you're gonna be taken to your death in in shackles. Um, And and Peter says, well, what about this guy? And Jesus says, that's none of your business. Um, But John lived and died of old age in the city of Ephesus. There was also a season of John's life uh, where he was exiled to Patmos. And I'm gonna put up here on the screen a little map Um, And Patmos was a small island right here off the coast. This is Turkey and this is Greece. Um, And the island of Patmos was right here kind of between Greece and Turkey. It was a small island where political prisoners were sent. And this was during the reign of a Roman emperor named Domitian. And uh, he was really zealous about the Roman religion, all of the pantheon of the Roman gods, Zeus and, and Artemis and all of these, uh, this pantheon of Roman gods. And Domitian wanted to make sure that the Roman people only worshiped the Roman gods. And so he really persecuted Christians and and Jewish people and people of other faiths that were not kind of swallowed up into the Roman religion and John was one of those people who proclaimed the name of Jesus for salvation. And so John was sent to this island of Patmos, this little small island, and that's where John received the revelation of Jesus Christ that that became the book of Revelation. He starts off, I'm John, your brother, I'm on Patmos because of the message of Jesus. In other words, I was preaching Jesus and so they sent me here to this prison island. Well, somewhere toward the end of his life, John is released from the island of Patmos. And maybe it was just because he was an old man and the Roman rulers thought, well, he, what can he do uh, now at his old age? Or maybe it was because a new emperor came to town. Domitian, uh, he, he died at 96 AD and a new emperor took over. So maybe it was at the end of his reign. But, but uh, history tells us that John, came to Ephesus, and that's where he died. If you go to Ephesus today, there are tombs that claim to be the tomb of the Apostle John. Um, but John, in his, in his old age, wrote these letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John to the believers who were a part of the church in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus. And we, we can see John writing with this kind of fatherly tone because he says, my little children, over and over. He says, beloved. It's this very affectionate language that he writes to these believers in the city of Ephesus because he loves them, because he's, he's known them for a long time, because he is well-seasoned in his life and faith. And, and, and so that's kind of the context under which John writes this letter. He was probably uh, in his late 80s or early 90s when he died. And he writes this letter to the church at Ephesus in order to give certainty to the believers. John says, I have written that you may know. We just read that, it was on the screen a minute ago in John chapter, 1 John 5, 13. But John uses the word know Almost 50 times in his letter in the book of 1 John, almost 50 times John uses the word know because he wants the believers in the city of Ephesus to know whom they have believed in, to know who they are in Christ and to know what it means to live out their faith in Christ. It's really important for us today because we live in a culture where people say, y- you know, you can't really know that. We, we live in this kind of um, postmodern culture where truth is relative, where truth is what you make it, where you have to discover your own truth, you have to find your own way. And so as John writes this letter to us, he as we as we receive this letter, John didn't write it to us, but as we as we apply the truths of this letter in our lives, we we can see that we live in a culture where we're claiming that you can know God that you can know truth. That's kind of a controversial statement. And John writes into that context. Let me read um, 1 John 5, 13, verses 19 and 20, and then I'm gonna read the first three verses of the letter that John wrote. Um, And I want you to see as I read this, the language that John uses. The, he talks about you can know. He talks about being an eyewitness. He's trying to give credibility and authenticity and authority to his statements here. So as I read this, John, 1 John 5, 13, you can turn in your Bibles there if you want to. Then I'm gonna read verses 19 and 20. Then I'm gonna turn back to chapter one, and I'm gonna read the first three verses. And I, I want you to see uh, how John speaks with authority uh, in these verses. So let me... Turn there, so we're all together. It's easy to miss First John in your Bible because it's only a couple of pages, so it's easy to flip right past. Here we go, uh, John, First John five thirteen. John says this: I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. And then in verse nineteen, he says. We know that we are of God and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. And we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one. We are in the true one. That is in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Then let's turn to John chapter one and let's look at these first three verses. And again, John is is giving us his, his kind of, authority as an eyewitness so that we can know what he says is true. 1 John 1 verse 1 says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our own eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed and we have seen it and we testify and declare it to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you may also have fellowship with us, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Let me pray, and then we'll continue in the message today. God, thank you for this letter written by the Apostle John, this letter written to give us certainty, to give us confidence that we can know you that we can know that we are your children and that we can know how to live our life following you. And so, Lord, as we learn together through the book of 1 John, I pray that you would grow our confidence, that you would grow our understanding, that you would grow our certainty and grow our faith to know that we are of you, that we have eternal life. Lord, thank you for your word. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, everybody say, that you may know. know. One more time, that you may know. That you may know. know. That's what John is writing this letter for, that we may know. So, 45 times, uh, John uses the word know in this letter. And, And John is writing to give confidence because there is a certain sect within the Christian church at this time in history uh, that, is, that is really going against the certainty of Scripture. There are a group of people, and John refers to them as, as people who went out from among us because they were not of us. He says there are antichrists, there are false teachers in the church. He talks about that in the book of 1 John. And these people were teaching something contrary to scripture, teaching something contrary to Jesus Christ who came in flesh. And so John is is combating this false teaching that's taking place in the church at this time. And and this false teaching was called Gnosticism. Uh, Gnosticism, J-N-O-S-T-I-C-I-S-M, Gnosticism. I think I have that word on the screen, and and Gnosticism was this teaching that there is a secret knowledge that leads to salvation. The word Gnosticism comes from a Greek word that's gnosis. Everybody say gnosis, good job. Gnosis, and that word just means knowledge. And so these Gnostic teachers taught that there was this secret hidden knowledge that, that you could access, and that's how you could come to salvation. And so they were really against the authority of the disciples and the apostles. They say, oh, you know, they don't know what they're talking about. They don't have the hidden secret knowledge that we have. They don't know what we know. They're trying to tell you about Jesus coming in the flesh, but that's not right. Because we don't, we disagree and we have this hidden secret knowledge. One of the reasons that the Gnostics didn't like the idea of Jesus coming in the flesh is because they were a dualistic philosophy. So, dualism was a Greek philosophy, and, and put that on the screen dualism. It taught this spiritual versus the physical. And, and maybe you're thinking, well, I thought that's what the Bible teaches that there's spiritual and there, that there's flesh or the world. And, and that's true. The Bible does teach this idea that there is the spirit and it's at war with the flesh. But the Gnostics took that to a whole nother level. Here's the truth we are. Physical beings, right? I mean, God created us in flesh. God created the world. He created a physical world. God spoke life into existence. He he breathed life into dust and humanity came to be. We are physical beings. Now, we are fallen because of our rebellion against God, but we are still physical beings. And one day, God will restore the physical world. There will be a new heaven and a new earth and it will be physical, it will not be spiritual. We won't just be angels floating around in the clouds. There will be a physical earth and we will have physical bodies. When Jesus rose from the dead, he rose as a physical body. He could be touched. Remember, he went to Thomas and he said, come on man, put your hands, put your fingers right here on my feet, touch, feel. And then Jesus ate some fish. Ghosts don't eat, right? Only bodies eat. Jesus, he said, give me some of that fish. Jesus was resurrected into a physical body. And one day when God restores the new heaven and the new earth, we will have physical bodies and we will live in a physical place. But the Gnostics, they said, no, 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 no. The physical body, the physical will all go away and then there will just be the spiritual realm and we'll be absorbed into the light. And we'll just exist as this cosmic force of energy. And it kind of sounds a little bit like New Age teaching of today. Kind of sounds like some of the Eastern religions like Buddhism and Hinduism that that you kind of reincarnate until you finally reach, you know, nirvana and, and you reach this state of bliss and ultimate spiritual existence. That's what the Gnostics taught. They said physical is bad, spiritual is good, And so one of the things that they taught is that Jesus did not come in flesh because Jesus was this good spiritual guy. Uh, He was enlightened and so he would never have come in flesh because the flesh is bad. And so they taught over and over, no, no, no. Jesus didn't come in flesh. He just came as this spiritual being and you might've thought he was flesh, but he wasn't. You might've thought he was human, but he wasn't. He was just spiritual and he just kind of, you know, floated over the ground and he had really cool stuff to teach, but he wasn't a man. He wasn't a human. The problem with that teaching is that God's word says that Jesus came in flesh. It says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word took on flesh and made his dwelling among us. And it's really important that Jesus came in flesh because he died a physical death in my place and in your place. And if he had not died a physical death, then we would not have had freedom from our sin. He physically and spiritually paid the penalty for my sin and your sin. And he couldn't do that as a phantom spirit. He could only do that in the flesh. Scripture says Adam was in flesh, and through Adam, sin entered the world. But through Jesus Christ, the man, life entered into the world. And Jesus had to be a physical man in order to bring our salvation. And so the Gnostics had a different idea of what salvation was. It was this spiritual reality. And, and they, the thing about Gnosticism is it's really hard to pinpoint It's really hard to nail down because they just kind of had these vague, general, spiritual beliefs that really kept them from really having to live by any kind of standard. And so Gnostics, uh, there were some Gnostics who were ascetics. That meant they kind of um, lived this kind of dutiful life of denying all of the pleasures of, of, of the physical body. You know, they, they would starve themselves. They would live on the top of a mountain in the elements. So some Gnostics live that way. But some Gnostics live this immoral life because they would say, well, the physical body is gonna go away anyway, so it doesn't matter what I do. What I, what I, I can just do anything I want because this body is just gonna get thrown in the trash and one day my spirit will be, you know, what really matters. And so, uh, it, they kind of went to these two opposite extremes, but it was the same idea. It really didn't matter what you do in this body or with this body. You could crush it or you could give it all the pleasure it wants because what really matters is the Spirit. And we can even kind of see that in our culture today. Right? We, we have this culture. Um, just think about the kind of exercise culture in our world exercise is good. Paul says bodily exercise is good, but it's not as important as spiritual growth. But think about the American culture, how much money people spend on health. And they think that if I can just make my body into this well-honed machine, then I will really have achieved purpose and meaning in life. There's a Right now, in our culture um, the the Greek philosophy of stoicism that is this kind of dutiful life of of disciplining ourselves uh, that that 's kind of a a new fad right now and, and so people live this life of of self denial and duty and and you know nutrition and and health and and physical fitness and those things are not bad, but when those things become the goal of your life that if I can just Uh, If my body can be, you know, honed into this perfect weapon, then I will have achieved some kind of spiritual reality. Uh, That's Gnosticism. And if you think about it, it's, it's all over. It's on social media, it's on TV, it's on the bestseller books at the bookshelf. And then the other extreme, right, the kind of immoral extreme of Gnosticism is, Just do whatever you want, because it doesn't matter anyway. And we have that in our culture too. Just follow your heart. Find your own truth. Live your life. You only live once. You do you. All that language is the other side of Gnosticism, that that it's really just uh, about your spirit is inside you, and your spirit, whatever makes you feel good, do that. Whatever makes you happy, just do that. And that's the other side of Gnosticism, but it's certainly a reality in our culture today. Gnosticism teaches that this secret knowledge that is only accessible to those who who pursue it is individually achieved. In other words, you just have to discover it for yourself. So Gnostics don't like the authority of God's word that says, this is what God says. They say, oh, no, 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 no. That's so archaic. I need to to discover my own truth because that's the only authentic truth. We can see that all over our culture today. That's Gnosticism. That's what John is writing to combat. Do you guys remember the book, The Secret, that came out in 2006? Like Oprah loved the book, The Secret. It was on her bestseller list. and, And there was a movie that was made about it. And, and that book, The Secret, is, a, is Gnosticism. And some of y'all might have that book at home and you thought, oh, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, you know, it's all about the power of positive thinking. And it says, yeah, I, I think I have a quote um, from that book. It says, decide what you want, believe you can have it, believe you deserve it, believe it's possible for you. And, and some of y'all might be thinking, I thought that's what the Bible said. No, that's not in the Bible, I promise. <laughs> The Bible says we're sinners separated from God and we can't do anything good. And that anything that we have that is good comes from God. It doesn't come through the power of our positive thinking. It doesn't come because we spoke it into the universe. It comes because God in his grace blessed us or God in his grace withheld something from us. We're called to live our life in submission to God Not God live his life in submission to our wants and desires. And so Gnosticism is alive and well in our world today. It's all over the place. And so Paul, I'm sorry, John is writing to combat this teaching. Now, the thing about Gnosticism is you can never really know that you know, because Gnostic knowledge is subjective knowledge. You might have arrived one day, but then next year you change your mind. Oh, well, that worked for me in 2020, but for 2022, I need a new buzz. I need a new thing. I need a new pursuit. I need a new New Year's resolution. And we're always chasing this hidden knowledge, this thing that we think is going to finally fulfill us but we're just chasing our desires. We're just chasing the next bestseller on the New York Times bestseller list. We're just chasing the new workout, the new diet routine, the new whatever it is, the new philosophy, the new self-help, the new self-care, the new self-love, and that that's gonna get us there, and that's Gnosticism there's this hidden knowledge that if we just, you know, shake the branches the right way and hop on one foot and then we'll finally get there. And John says, no, you can know God. You can know that you belong to God. You can know, you don't have to guess, you don't have to wonder. You don't have to keep pursuing the next thing. You don't have to live your life in the whirlwind of fads and trends and whatever the next online guru tells you. You can know for certain. You can know truth. You don't have to be enslaved to your feelings. You don't have to be enslaved to your heart's ever-changing desires. You can know and have certainty. And so John writes to us so that we may know. And that's good news. That's good news, especially in our world today. So here's how how I'm gonna wrap up. I'm gonna go back to 1 John chapter five, verse 13 and verse 19 and 20. And I'm just gonna look at a couple things from that passage that help us as we seek to know as we seek to know God, as we seek to know who he is in our life and seek to know who we are in him. So 1 John 5:13 again it says I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. John says I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. If we're gonna know who God is and who we are, then we must understand that we are in Christ and that we have eternal life. John says, I've written these things so that you can know that you have eternal life, that you can know that we are of God, verse 19. We need to understand that we are in Christ and that we have eternal life. Verse 19, he says, we know that we are of God and the world is under the sway of the evil one. Here's the other thing that we must understand. We must understand that the world is under the influence of sin and the devil. The world is under the influence of sin and the devil. Verse 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one. We are in the true one. That is in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. We must understand that God has revealed himself through Jesus Christ and his word. We must understand that God has revealed himself through Jesus Christ and his word. So John says, you can know, but if we're going to know, there's a path. And it's not a path of hidden knowledge, it's a path of truth of solid facts. Jesus said, my word is like the rock and you can build your life on it. It's a solid foundation. If we are in Christ, we have eternal life, John says. You can know that you are in Christ, that you have eternal life. That the Christian life is not this life of wondering and searching and always, chasing our emotions and chasing our feelings and chasing our destiny we can know (laughs) if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation the old is gone the new has come maybe no for sure if we are in Christ we have eternal life we can know that We must also understand that the world is under the influence of sin and the evil one. Uh, Sometimes we think, well, that's not that bad. They sound pretty good. That sounds like, I I think I believe that. I I think that's, and John is writing in this book and he's saying, hey, there's only one way to know. (laughs) There's not a bunch of ways to know there's not a bunch of paths up the mountain. There's one path, there's one way to know. John is the writer that gives us in his gospel where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. John is telling us there's one way, it's in Christ, and you can know that you have eternal life. He says the world around us, the culture around us, it's, it's under the influence of evil, the evil one of sin. we must understand that God revealed himself through Jesus Christ and his word. Jesus came, lived a human life, lived a sinless life, died a human but sinless death. He was an actual figure of history. He's not a fable, he's not a myth, he's not a legend. He is the son of God come in human flesh. God has revealed himself through Jesus. We can know God. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, and the gospels reveal to us who Jesus is, and thus who God is. We can know God, but it's through Jesus Christ. It's not through, I think God's kinda like this. I think God's kinda like this. I don't like that kinda God, I like this kinda God. I like that kinda God. I, no, we don't get to pick. God is and he's revealed himself to us. That's the good news through Jesus Christ. And here's the final thing, we can only understand these things when we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. We can only understand these things when we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. We can know, we can have certainty We can understand that we are in Christ and that we have eternal life. We can understand that the world is is under the bondage of sin. We can even have an influence on the world for the glory of the gospel. We can know God because he's revealed himself to us through Jesus Christ, but the only way to have certainty, to know, to understand all of these things is to surrender to Jesus Christ. Surrender to Jesus Christ. Surrender to Jesus Christ. Not I like Jesus, not Jesus is my homeboy, not I got a Jesus fish tattoo on my arm, not I wear a cross sometimes, but surrender our life to Jesus Christ. Jesus, the only thing I'm certain about is that you are who you say you are. So help me to make sense of the rest of life based on that foundation. And when we come to that place of surrender, not just, I think I like Jesus, I think I believe in Jesus, I think he was a good guy, but surrendering our life to him. God, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not certain about anything. I have so many questions. But when we come to him and surrender our questions to him, surrender our doubts to him, surrender our uncertainty to him, surrender our anxiety to him. I mean surrender, I mean give our life to Christ. Then all of a sudden, he opens up our eyes to a new reality. Here's the good news, it's available to anybody, right? This Gnostic philosophy that we were talking about, the philosophy of even our current age is that you you gotta find this, you gotta like search it out, you gotta find this secret hidden knowledge, you gotta find it for yourself and it's different for everybody and you know, and it's this like pursuit of this unending, ambiguous, spiritual blah. And it's exhausting. John says, no, <laughs> you can know, you can know, you can know, you can know. And so this morning, maybe you're in a place where you have been searching and seeking and just feeling like you're a hamster in a hamster wheel, trying to find what is real, what is truth, what is meaning and maybe you've kind of dabbled with Christianity, you've kind of dabbled with Jesus, but you've never surrendered your life to Him. You've been trying to maybe try to live like Jesus taught us to live, but you can't do that in your own strength. You can only do that through His strength that is working in us, and that happens when you surrender your life to Him. Maybe you've been kind of mixing and matching your, your spiritual palette. A little bit of Jesus, a little bit of spiritual philosophy, a little bit of this book, a little bit of that book. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You gotta chuck all that stuff and surrender to me. Jesus Christ revealed himself to us, we can come to him. So, I'm gonna invite you to stand with me, and I'm gonna pray. And maybe this morning you need to pray. And you just need to say, God, I'm, I'm struggling. I, there, I, there's no certainty in my life. I feel like I'm walking on marbles. And I'm slipping and I'm sliding. And the ups and downs and the good days and the bad days, it's just overwhelming for me. And, and maybe you need to come to the point in your life where you surrender your life to Christ. I mean, surrender your life to Christ. Maybe you've never come to that place in your life. Today could be that day. In First John chapter 1, John is talking to Christians and he says, you shouldn't live in sin. If you're living in sin, you might not be a Christian, but if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteous. And at the beginning of chapter two, he says, and if you do sin, we've got Jesus, who is the propitiation, the payment, the atonement for our sins. And maybe you've come to a place of true surrender in your life, but you've been living in a season where you're not pursuing Christ. Today, maybe you just need to say, God, I'm sorry, help me. Confess that to him. He is faithful and just to forgive. Maybe you just need to pray, say, God, help me to follow you, help me to know, help me to walk in certainty. Christian faith is a faith of certainty. So as we teach through the book of 1 John, um, it's gonna challenge us because it's black and white. It's clear and certain. It's gonna push our buttons. It's pushed mine as I've been preparing. But that's good because it helps us know, here's the line, which side are you on? Maybe today you just need to ask yourself that question as we pray. God, thank you. Thank you that we can know every single one of us in here, not just the wealthy, not just the smart, not just the sensitive, not just the healthy, not just any certain culture or people group, we can know you, every single one of us can know you. God, we thank you that you revealed yourself to us through Jesus Christ, your son, the second person of the Trinity, that he lived his life in a way that revealed who you are to us and revealed how we can Know you. And so, Lord, help us to surrender our lives to that truth, to Jesus as King and Lord of our lives. Forgive us for when we try to find our own way to make our own path. Help us to walk the path of truth and light and love. And Lord, help us to be a people who declare truth, who are not scared to declare truth, who are not tentative to declare truth, but who open up our mouths and speak of your goodness and your grace and your justice and your mercy and your salvation. Thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is truth now sanctify us by the truth, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Just want to have a time of response, we'll just take a few minutes, and if you want to pray, I invite you to come up here and pray, I'll be down in the front, there will be others who are willing to pray with you if you want to pray with someone, Um, and then in just a minute we'll sing a song to close out our service, so as God is calling you, I invite you to respond.